when we are working with Indigenous people, we need to do more like action-based and love and what God really is and what Jesus wants us to be is mm -hmm. love and action and just be present. And people accept prayer. People always accept prayer. Hey man, yeah. can I pray for you? People yeah. will always accept prayer. But if we're, we're doing this harassment-based, you know, um, faith ministry, I don't see that working in the communities that I know. Like I know all these communities around here. Like I lived on the reserve for the last, you know, 13 years. I'm 18. I know all these communities here and it's not going to work. That's it's not right. going to work, right? We go in that direction, but God needs to be present. But you know what? God's present through prayer. Yeah. Through prayer is like number one and everybody accepts it. Everybody. Hey, what's up? Welcome to the Kamloops Alliance Church Podcast. My name is Chris Lee, pastor here at the church. Thanks for choosing to spend some time with us today. Season four has been all about our church's heart, desire, prayers for indigenous awareness, knowledge, inclusion, ministry here. I am on a journey that I am taking our church on to just think more clearly and, and love more passionately for the people of our city, of whom are Indigenous people. You know, we're recording this after the horrible discovery at the Cowlins Residential School that has made international news. I guess my thoughts are simply this. I am so grieved by this. It is such a painful reminder of how we, the church, have gotten it wrong in the past. There is so much uh, rightful suspicion and hurt when it comes to all of this. So we, as a church, we've gotten calls from people in our city and across the country uh, who have voiced their displeasure and their hurt. So here we are in the mess. If it, I don't know if you caught episode three, but Mark Buchanan, a friend of mine, came on the podcast and said, it will get messy. And here we are in, in the mess of, of history, in the mess of the pain. And, and yet we want to and hope for and pray for a better future. And so, yes, we need to acknowledge the past and we need to acknowledge all of the hurt and the trauma of the past. But we as a church and me, I'm just praying, Lord, what is what does the future look like? And, and how do I how do I be how do I be a part of that better future? I think it's also important that um, I just point out how providential God has been. And by providential I mean how He has prepared us for this journey. We as a church have been talking about this for a year. And it all started with my friend Norm, who was on season or episode one of this season, uh, him coming to our church and saying, hey, I want to help you um, be a part of the solution. And so Norm and I built a friendship. And then over the last six months, we have been hosting educational uh, classes about Indigenous history in the 60s scoop and residential schools and the Indian Act and our local area. Like we have been actively pursuing this as a church. We have uh, approached people now to be a part of this committee, a reconciliation committee. We don't even know what it's called, but a committee that's going to help steer our church into this better future and to befriend the Indigenous people of our city. So we're already moving forward on this and then this news broke. And so I just, I just feel like we are on the right track. Even though we don't know what this looks like, we are on the right track as we move forward. I have a great guest, uh, 
in this episode uh, of uh, this episode of season four. Uh, I have uh, a friend of mine. Her name is Bonnie Lapine Antoine, and uh, Bonnie attends Kamloops Alliance Church. She is a local teacher here at the Francophone School. She is married to Frank and has three beautiful children. Frank actually is a local chief here at the Bonaparte First Nations in and around Kamloops. Bonnie is proud of her Métis heritage and shares so much wisdom and knowledge in this podcast about her story, her upbringing, and her faith. I think there's at least two or three times in this podcast where I just thank Bonnie for her authenticity. She is so brave as she shares her heart, her past, her current struggles, and her hope for Indigenous people in Kamloops and, and in Canada. Bonnie's actually been so helpful for me uh, because she's educated in this whole area and she educates in this area. So she's been so helpful to say, well, maybe say it that way. Maybe think about it this way. And so I was so privileged to have Bonnie on as a guest. Let me stop talking. And here is our conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Kamloops Alliance Church Podcast. Really glad that you're here. Uh, I am here with a great guest. I'm privileged to have her on on our podcast uh, as this is episode four. Uh, Bonnie uh, Lapine Antoine is her name. Bonnie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Hi, Chris. Thank you for having me today. Yeah. Um, Can you introduce uh, everybody to who you are? Tell me about your family and your job, where you live, just kind of how you spend your time in this uh, in this pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, my name is Bonnie. Um, I'm originally from uh, Victoria. So I grew up in Victoria and a bit in Quebec City. Um, I have three children, Sequoia, Maya, and Riel. Um, and I have my husband, Frank. Um, so my husband is the chief of Bonaparte Indian Band, and I am a mother <laughs> and a teacher. Um, so I teach at the Francophone um, School District. So it, I, I teach yeah within the Francophone School District. So we're a, 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 a province-wide um school district that have about 40 schools around the province. Uh, so that's what I do for a career. Um, very passionate about my, my um, Francophone heritage uh, from my mom. Um, and I live in the beautiful city of Kamloops on the traditional territory of the Sequoia people. So I'm very proud um, that this is my children's traditional land. And um, I'm happy that they can be um, grown, well, they can grow in, in their traditional um, territory and, and learn about the plants and the, the, the things that, that come with that. So um, that's, that's pretty much uh, who we are. I identify myself as being um, Métis. So my mother is actually, she has uh, Wandaki Huron uh, heritage from Quebec City. Um, so she grew up in that area, in that the traditional uh, territory of the, the Huron people. And um, uh, my father actually is Métis um, from, from Batash, Saskatchewan area. So that's where his lineage comes. So he played, um, his family played a big part in the, the, the Red River resistance, um, as, as we call it. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much pretty much who I am. <laughs> cool. No, that's awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, so a, a wife and a mother and a teacher. So you have a very full full life, I'm sure. That's true. Yes. <laughs> and kids uh, that play many diverse sports, hockey and lacrosse, and <laughs> right. So you're driving baseball. everywhere. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah. So you're a teacher and then also professional chauffeur for your kids. 
That's right. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. So I have to ask with summer coming up, do you have any family vacations or any kind of things you're, you're looking forward to? Maybe as the restrictions lift, any anything exciting coming up for you in the summer? No, not really anything exciting. We're, we're, we're kind of, because um, I'll explain a bit later, but we have an immune compromised child. So we, we're choosing not to, like we don't go too far and we just kind of, of keep our, our unit quite small and, and stuff. Um, but, you know, summer, spring, summer is like a time of like um, gathering and fishing, you know, so it's a time that I, that we can teach our, tr- our children traditional ways um, to go on the land and fish and this. So we really like this time of year. Um, often, sometimes before we used to like tan hides and stuff. But so it's just, it's the transition of the season that we really enjoy. Um, yeah. So we just, we just honor like what, what's around us and, and we're happy with what what we can do in summer and sports and camps and so we're looking forward to I guess just the hot weather. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Good, good. Bonnie, let's talk a little bit more about your story. That's kind of what we want to do. We're gonna mm-hmm. we're explore your story a little bit more, uh, your heritage, uh, and, and then also just talk about kind of what we're doing here at Camlips Alliance. So let's talk a little bit more about your story. Give me a brief flyover of your upbringing. You talk, you introduce us a little bit to your to your family. Expand on that mm-hmm. a little bit more. Uh, your growing up years, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I, like I stated, like my, my father is Métis. My mom is like, a, she has Huron heritage. Um, she's French Canadian. Um, so I grew up in pretty much with my Francophone culture um, in, in a school setting. So it was more a culture that was brought up in a school setting because we had Francophone schools that, that were created when I was a kid. Um, my father, uh, amazing person today, um, he stopped uh, drinking maybe about 15 years ago, but I grew up with him as a father uh, being an alcoholic. Um, it, it brought a lot of uh, difficulties and a lot of like insecurities and a lot of, um, um, it was just, it was hard, right? But uh, I think over time, um, I've never, like I've always forgave my father. And, and I was, I guess, smart enough to realize that, um, you know, we come from trauma and trauma sometimes can bring addictions. And I was more empathetic to understand that. But regardless, it, w- it was hard, right? Um, so, so that, and then, and then um, I, I can't share everything in detail because of course these people are still living and I love them dearly, right? And, and my mother was the most amazing um, hardworking person. So my mother works 16 hours a day um, just to put like food on the table, like went from one job to the other job and made sure that our, our supper was ready or eventually we made our own supper or whatever. So um, that, that, that model, um, you know, her role modeling in, you know, um, I know it's not a traditional like Christian role modeling where, you know, a father is the head of the household you know, my, my parents aren't Christian. (laughs) It's, it's where I, it's what I grew up in. And, um, you know, I, but I still honor the hard work that she put and it taught me to work hard to achieve. So that value of hard work, um, was important to me. And I thought that was good role modeling on her behalf. And she, she's like one of the kindest person you could ever meet the most non-judgmental person ever. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, uh, where I, I, um, uh, that's kind of I have a I have two siblings, so I have a brother and an older sister, um, and um, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much. Uh, that's good. 
me. <laughs> good. I think you know it's it's good to it's good you know Bonnie to to honor the good that came out you know even mm-hmm. even with the challenge like mm-hmm. honor honor the good the, the hard work the work ethic the the care even even your dad now being sober now oh, yeah. is, is great you know yeah, it is so how did how did how did that environment that you grew up in both the challenges and and the positive things how did that shape kind of your your teenage adolescent and young adult years because I. I know, uh, just hearing your story before, you you, you really kind of achieved. You, you really went hard and work ethic mm-hmm. in school and stuff like. So, t- tell us about kind of like that, that identity formation time in your life, those adolescent mm-hmm. kind of young adult years, and and what you learned growing up and how that shaped that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, like from birth, I really felt like God. Even though I didn't grow up in a Christian family, I really felt like God like just sheltered me. Like not sheltered me. I mean, like he protected me with like an armor over me. And I was able to walk, like get through so many challenges through my life. Um, and it, and I, like, I have this vision that it's like this white armor and just like of purity and, and just so like this pure child, just walking through this, you know, maybe a traumatic life, um, and, and, and making it through the other, the other side. And, um, and I, and I think that, um, God, I always say, like, I feel in my life, that God had me since at birth and, and that I was his child at birth, even though I may have not known that I, you know, I didn't accept him in, in my, in my life yet, or, but I just feel that God had me at birth and that he was there with me through all those steps and all those difficulties. And like, I never, you know, did drugs. I never smoked. I never, I always made the right decision. I was like a, a top athlete. So I always made like the best choice, you know, for myself to progress. And it was the most like, um, mature. I was quite mature at a very young age. So Mm. sometimes there's children that will, you know, um, there's sometimes children that will, you know, follow sometimes in their parents' foot track. But me, I was like, I was rebelling against the system that was flawed and traumatic. And Mm. so I really feel like God, you know, he had me at birth and he, he guided me, um, uh, since, since birth. But however, in that, um, because I didn't have a relationship with God as a child, I felt quite alone. Um, so that loneliness of difficulty trying to talk to children, like I had like a social anxiety in the sense that, well, I, I have this big, deep, dark secret. I can't tell anybody. And um, I love my parents. Like, you know, I don't want to be taken away from my parents. So it, it's just, it was, it was quite, it's quite hard to... Um, yeah, it's quite hard to, um, to, to build relationships when you're kind of living in struggle where some people are easy, like have their, they can still do that, but I had a harder time. So I I felt quite alone and, um, I just had a harder time, uh, making those friendships and stuff like that. But, you know, sometimes I say there's, you know, specific teachers that really help us and, and get us through. And it was really my PE teacher at that time where she would drive me home every night, like every night. It's not something we can do today. Uh, no, like I can't bring no. my students home, Oh man! but no, my, right. but my, but my PT, PE teacher brought me home every night. So I think I, uh, I also say that maybe, you know, God gave me the gifts of, you know, sports and, and that kind of some, I say that sometimes I'm saved through sports and I got ahead through sports, but it, it's not how I got ahead. It, it created so many like integrity and, you know, discipline. And so I really feel that like when we talk about like healing, 
you know, we talk about art therapy and we talk, I, I had like sports therapy right, <laughs> so growing yeah. up. I had like this, you know, sometimes there's music therapy and going, you know, counseling this, but me, it was really like I had sports therapy and I learned all my skills through sports to filter down into my education, into this, into that. And, um, later on I, I made it by hair. So coming grade 11, like, because, you know, the difficulties and the challenges that were surrounding my life, um, the, I had a hard time like being able to study. And so I failed grade 11. I did. And I I didn't really fail. I got like 60%, but I looked at myself and I'm like, I need to go to university. I cannot not go. And so I remember just going up to the principal, like by myself and saying, Hey, can I just redo my grade 11? And he's like, well, why would you want to do that? You're passing all your classes because I need to go to university. I just need to. Mm -hmm. So he let me redo that and then redo the grade, the grade 12. And then I went to university and it was fine after that. Like there was really no problems after that. And then I went to do a few different degrees and whatever. Um, So Yeah. Thank you for sharing. It's uh, it, it's hard to be vulnerable on a podcast, Bonnie. Very. But, but 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 you 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 have given us just a huge gift to open up your life in this way. Yeah. I, know that, I know that the people who are going to tune in uh, are 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 going to be running or or cooking, and they're like, yes, like I, I feel that connection because okay. because you know it, it's a human experience, you know, and and. Yeah. I love what you said, you know, God brought you to this kind of this armor over your life, this purity mm-hmm. and, and kind of this, this drive to, to, through sports, through these different avenues mm-hmm. of, of health and flourishing for you. So uh, you, you did mention earlier on, uh, Bonnie, that you did not grow up in a family, in a faith background at all. And, and yet today you are a Christian, you follow Jesus. So can you, can you talk, tell us about the intersection of Bonnie's life and the life of Jesus? Like, when did that happen? How did that happen? And, and really, I mean, this is probably its own podcast in and of itself, but what difference has Jesus made in, in, in all of life? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I um, accepted, you know, Jesus into my, my heart when I was, um, um, uh, I guess I would, I would say, I'm pretty sure it was my first year university, but I can't quite remember. <laughs> uh, so where I went to university at the university of Alberta, right across the street, I was on a French campus and across the street, kitty corner from our residence, there was the church of God. Um, so they were, I think the people were more, um, I, I think they were, I'm not sure if they were Baptist or Mennonites. It was a Mennonite church. Yeah. Most of the the congregation was more of a Mennonite background. Um, So I had this friend, there was actually two, two people on my floor. So I was a resident assistant. So I was like a counselor in the residence and they're like, Hey, Bonnie, you should come to church with us. And I'm like, yeah, I should. I was very like, I'm a very like, um, I was a very soft person at that time and very like just gentle and quiet and I didn't really talk to many people and I and they're like why you should come so I I said sure yeah I'll go so um I accepted God um into my heart to build a deeper relationship um when I was my first year university and I actually don't think I would have got through university without him I don't even think I would have like there's miracles that happened through the whole process and I'm talking about like the fact that I had zero money (laughs) And I remember times where I said, hey, God, like I am starving and I don't know what to do. And so, you know, there's times where I had to like, there was something sitting on the counter in our residence and I I ate it because I was actually starving. And so, and I remember going to the food bank and then trying to, you know, the food bank didn't give me a whole lot of food. Like it was just very minimal and I'm still hungry. And so 
Um, that whole aspect of how am I going to pay for school? How am I going to pay for food? I have nobody to rely on but myself. So that in itself was was quite um, challenging. And then when I finished all my university, I had like thousands, like over 60,000 of student debt that I had to like pay off right away. Like it just, and you pay off like a thousand a month and it's like never ends. It's just like, you keep going yeah. and it never ends. It's like years yes. after years of this student debt. And you're just like, so no, actually, I think it's only been like four years that I actually paid it off. Yeah. <laughs> Cause then I went back for more education, had to be more. So it was just kind of this thing, but you know, I think that, and you know, there's times where it's difficult when you get to higher, higher, like postgraduate, um, you know, courses and stuff like that, where it gets quite hard and you're, you just got to fall on God to get you through it and, and to give you, you know, the ideas of what are you going to put on this paper and stuff like that. So, um, I always went with my gut and my heart when I, when I was at, um, uh, so I'm an emotional person and, you know, sometimes when we're writing, you know, essays or when we're, we're giving in papers, I always went from like, I think God just like, I'm going to open myself up on this paper. Some things are private, but I'm going to do it. And, and it always worked. So just being real to like, maybe it made, you know, the professors think that, okay, well, there maybe is a different view that we need to teach, right? Because a lot of it was in pedagogy. We need to really look at how we're teaching. And so it was just being innovative from my own experience as a child and as an Indigenous person, mm-hmm. how it could, could infilter through. So that's kind of my story of how I how I built a deeper relationship with God. And, and um, I can't say that, you know, where I'm at today, that it, it's been pretty easy. There's times where I personally have walked away um, from God um, where I was at in my life. And um, yeah. And, but, you know, I found my way back. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, Bonnie. Uh, tell me about your journey with your Métis roots. I know that there's a story there. Um, how 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 have you um, embraced that? Because I know that you obviously do. Uh, and how are you practicing that today? So tell me your journey with your indigenous uh, heritage, and and how how are you doing that today? <laughs> yeah. Um, so my father's Métis. My mother has indigenous ancestry too. Um, we've always talked about it, but never really practiced it. So what happens when when we talk about a lot of Métis people are, um, they don't know too much about their like traditional ways. And a lot of Indigenous people actually don't. And some, it has the effect from like residential school. Some is like um, colonization. Some is a lot of like people refusing who they are. So just saying no. And, you know, I can go walk through this earth and not even say that I'm Indigenous and people won't know just because I have fair skin. I got like, you know, blue eyes and stuff. So, um, I think that a lot of Métis people and a lot of Indigenous people have done that through their life. They'll just say, oh, I'm French and, you know, oh, I'm this and try to hide it. And we, that those are time periods where it was quite racist. And like we lived in a racist Canada. Um, and so there's, there's, there's like a, a lot of effects of why people did not embrace their Indigenous part of them. And there's some that couldn't hide it, right? So my father's kind of one who, who couldn't hide it like you see him and you know that he's indigenous. So um, I think he struggled a bit with his own identity. However, he always said that we were um, Métis, right? Um, And I know that the school, there was, I I grew up in a time period where um, 
the schools kind of started just a little bit with the friendship centers to help the students discover who they are and their identity and try to grab onto whatever they could through that. And then I, I also got really heavily involved young, like I remember the age of 15, 14, 15, um, on the board of the Métis Nation of BC, okay. um, on the youth council, and then later on the governing board or whatever. So I got involved and, and through those organizations, which were political, I kind of like, and at university later, I kind of like, I, I did like Indigenous studies and then Métis studies and this and that. I kind of taught myself my culture, if that makes sense. And then when I met my now husband for the last like 15 years, I've been trying to learn like my children's culture as a Sequechmic person. Um, so I think I'm a person like they call me the traditional type person <laughs> because I kind of like to go and learn, you know, things that belong to us traditionally. Um, it's, it's important to me that we pass the, those knowledge on because for myself, I find that when we know where we, who we are and our identity and that we're proud of who we are and we're not scared to be who we are, I think that it equips us and helps us because God wants that. God wants us to be us and that our world wants us, you know, our world, you know, that's their own problem, but God wants us to be who we are. Right. And so, um, the 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 thing is is that i i didn't want to um shame who i was even though mm. what i looked like and um i didn't want to bring on the shame of my parents or the shame of my grandparents or the shame of i didn't want that anymore cuz those people have fought really hard for their identity actually like in batash they fought really hard mm-hmm. so i didn't want that so i just said no i am and it was like this new era of young metis children at the time that were okay with being Métis and trying to change it. And through that, you could see a lot of our our parents like gripping to that, say, wow, if my child can be proud of who they are, like I need to like relook at myself and look at myself in the mirror and accept who I am. And, you know, there's a lot of healing in that process of our children accepting who they are through the school system, through organizations. And, And then the parents realizing, wow. So actually I feel like my father stopped drinking because of that because of mm. that transition of like, it's okay to be me. It's okay to, you know, be Métis. It's, and there's a sense of pride of who he is now. Mm. Um, I wish he had a pride of being a Christian, but that, <laughs> that's another that's right. another story, right? But I, I, I find a sense of pride um, in, 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 in his identity. The Métis, um, the Métis identity in Canada is very complex. It's a law, it's an identity that a lot of people do not understand. Um, you have a lot of like uh, Eastern people, um, and I can speak on this behalf because I'm actually part of like a diverse Indigenous community across Canada. So a lot of people will call them Métis. So you have something about the small M Métis, we call it. So small M Métis is just mixed blood. It could be half this, half that. That's what we call, that's what we call Métis. That's the term that you would use for any mixed race. But what's happening in Canada now is that we have people that are half Aboriginal and half Caucasian or half whatever, and they're calling themselves Métis and they have for a very long time. And it's it's only because they're, they're not able to obtain status. Mm-hmm. And it's like this big, like, and it's, status is something that was created by the government. Um, but we know that we're Indigenous, even if we don't have status, right? Um so I think that there's a lot of people that aren't using the term Métis in the proper term. So Métis, big M, the Métis nation is from Red River. We're a group of people that come from half-breed and ended up marrying each other. And so that is actually a nation in itself that's from, our homeland is from the prairies. 
And most of us are scattered all through the prairies, but we originated from like Winnipeg area, the Red River um, area. And we're families that have mixed breed that just continued to, um, to, to, to have children. And so we created this nation of a different, you know, that has a, a diverse culture with like jigging, Métis jigging, which is a mix between like, uh, like prairie dance, like chicken dance mixed with like jigging, like uh, Irish jigging, if you want, or French, you know, jigging or uh, square dancing. So, and then there, we have the violin, we have our own language, which is a Creole. So it's a, the verbs, the verbs are in, in Cree and the nouns are in French usually. So it's like this dialect that nobody really talks about, but it's like a mix of Cree and French. Um, so we have our own language. We have, um, so to have a nation, you have to have that. You have to have a language. You have to have like a specific meals, dance. What's, what's your tradition? What's cultural? And what's happening now is there's lots of people like back East or even in BC that are calling themselves Métis. And it's not healthy in the sense that sometimes they're self-identifying on a school like form saying, yes, I'm Métis. So what we do as educators, we say, okay, well, I'm going to teach you your culture. But their culture isn't. They're actually like half Mohawk, half white, or okay. half Sequekmik, get it? So half Shushwap, half white, right. half like half, half Algonquin, half whatever, whatever it is. And then that's not what I should be teaching them, though. I need to be teaching them their Mohawk Indigenous history. And so this is where this whole self-identification of being Métis is is complicated. And there's right. a lot of it's there's and you don't want to take somebody's identity away from them when they've had that their whole life, right? And so it's a very complex situation and a lot of people don't. And this is what's mixing a lot of people up. Like you talk about being Métis and they're like, oh, are you a real Métis or are you a, who are you? Like, and so I think that we're in the process, like the government and our, our, like our government and our, our um, governing bodies, like the Métis nations across the province. So we actually have like, um, Pro, we have like each province has their um, like Métis Nation of BC, Métis Nation of Alberta. So the Métis Nation of BC, we're actually in our homeland isn't here. We just live here. But our like our, our ancestors, like our parents and stuff are all from the prairies. But we're still for, part of that nation. But we just, we removed ourselves from the traditional territory, right? No different than if a Sopokmak person, a Shushwap person or an Okanagan person would move to Quebec. They're not on their traditional land, but they're still Okanagan. Right, so right. We, that's why we have a governing body from BC and we're called the Métis Nation of BC. But we're all from the same nation and that's from Red River. So the the Métis, yeah, the Métis identity is very, very complex. And I think I missed that um, last time when we were when we were talking um, mm-hmm. with the, the congregation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's the that's what um, that's what being Métis is. Is it comes with a diverse uh, Indigenous uh, mixed background of Indigenous and French um, settlers, and and you know often a lot of people are like, don't we shouldn't be wearing you know the Hudson Bay um, blanket. We shouldn't associate ourselves with that, but Métis people is a very different thing. So a lot of Indigenous people will say that's bad because of the pest or, you know, all the smallpox and stuff. Yes, right. But for us, we took that blanket and we made like a capote, which is a, a jacket. Right. Right. So we, so for us, that, that blanket is very important to us because we took it and we modified it into these, these big jackets. Yeah. And those jackets are part of who we are now. Like it's part, uh-huh. it was part of our culture and we use them for certain different diverse so, you know, it's a complex thing when, when you're a mixed breed, you're, yeah. you live in both worlds. Your identity is both. You're, you're both. So, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, Bonnie, <laughs> you have been, because I mean, I, I'm new to this whole journey. Uh, 
uh, and we've talked to other places in different formats. You have been so helpful in bringing, shedding light to some of the complexities of this. Like, it's not like one story of Indigenous Canada. There are different expressions of it. You know, you mentioned you mentioned the whole status thing. Like for me, that was crazy. You know, in one of our interactions, um, I believe on on one of the Zoom calls that we had with the, with the wider congregation, I referred to myself as. Um, uh, like the color of my skin being being white, and that means I'm not indigenous. And you very gently and very graciously, the next time we met, you you said, you know, I look very very white, and I am indigenous. So the proper language would be like indigenous, non-indigenous, and that's helped me along the journey. So Bonnie, I, I'm just so grateful for just your your teacher that comes out. You know, when when we talk about these sorts of things, because it's it's made me realize that these types of issues, the indigenous relationship, and all, like it is so it is so complex, and it takes time for a person like me who's not indigenous to listen. And to learn because it, it helps me gain perspective on how we've arrived here, both positively and some of the issues that we're facing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, and it's not just like non-Indigenous people. It's also Indigenous people that don't understand the Métis identity. So yeah, it's like right. even even my own husband, when I met him, he's like, I don't get it. He's right. like, yeah, sure. He's like, oh, and a lot of times we get we get like, you know, oh, you're just a wannabe or you're this. So we get we get this like bullying type of, you know, interactions. And it's like, but it's a lack of knowledge within Indigenous and and sometimes Métis people don't even know who they are. So it's right. a really complex, yeah, it's yeah. a complex, uh, I guess, yeah, topic. Thank you for shedding some light on it. Um, I, I know now, Bonnie, that you are very passionate about continuing on the traditions of your your, your Métis heritage with jigging, you know, you, you personally doing that, and also with your family, marrying a Sequetmic uh, person and, and doing that. So can you tell us how you are uh, in your family um, practicing both of these heritages and traditions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that, um, so I just, my focus is my my children. So there's a lot that I can do for myself, but I think a lot of thing that's driving me in my life is that my children, and then as a mother, mothers in our traditional culture have a, a role of um, giving, like passing the traditions on to our children because that's just how it works. So I think a lot of cultures is like that. And I said, you know, I may not be Shushwab. I had Métis so that, you know, I had to push myself to learn a lot of my culture to be able to pass it on to my children. And so we started this group here called Lee, uh, the Lee, Lee Buffalo Gals. We jig out of Lee Michif Opemisawak, which is a Métis children in, in foster care. Um, so there's a group of us. We came together. We're a troop now. We've been, I don't know, practicing and, and dancing together across Canada, like at a lot of competitions, dance competitions um, across Canada for the last like seven, seven years, seven, eight years. Um, so we've become like not good to really good. <laughs> and, right. and and so it, it, it's been, and through that, we, we've, you know, um, learned a lot of our own culture and, tr- and traditions and ways of, of, of being with the, that group. Um, and we've had lots of elders come on board and teach us from across Canada. So 
that that's been a, a unique and and fun experience. And and because of that, I've been able to teach my kids now. I hold a teaching of and jigging jigging. Like when we talk about me teaching, so like what is that? Like are we jigging like like fishing or like <laughs> right um, right? But no, people don't get it, so they're like, sure. what is that dance? So jigging is a mix, like I said, of like powwow, I guess, dancing, which you would call powwow, or just traditional indigenous dancing, mixed with like French. Um, so square dancing, but it's a lot faster. It's really, really fast and it's like clogging. So now it's become more contemporary and there's lots of clogging in it. And jigging is practiced not only within Métis communities, but now it's practiced um, within Indigenous communities in the prairies. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing actually that's keeping our youth out of drugs is a thing that's keeping our youth out of, you know, you know, not making good decisions because all they want to go is, is, is they want to go to their jigging practice. And so like I was talking about sports, it's like a healing. Yeah, There's right. a healing portion to it. Um, so there, I, I think that I've spent a lot of my last, um, well, really since I think grade 11, trying to understand who I am. Um, grade 11 to like maybe age 25, I really focused on like history. So who am I? Like, who are my ancestors? Where do I come? So the whole history part, I was in university. I took a lot of courses. So it was about like, who, who, who really am I? And I did a lot of like digging into the, 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 like the, I guess you would call them civil wars, like in resistance, rebellion, like how my people resisted the government. Um, and so I really focused on that. But then after that, when I, I had my first child, I focused on the, the I got away from politics too, because it was, it was getting a bit too much. Like politics sometimes can get a bit too much. And I didn't feel yes. God at that point was telling me this isn't healthy anymore. Um, you, you just need to, to walk away. And I said, well, I got kids now. I need to focus on my, who I am as an AT person. You can, you can be involved in politics all you want, but if you don't know who you are, like you can't do a lot of the, the the traditional things like cooking and dancing and speaking your language and this and that, then um, then I can't pass it on to my kids. So my focus changed and now I'm just focusing. So my ch my children powwow dance, um, they jig. Um, we my my son just took up hoop dancing, so he just started hoop dancing, which is not really part of his traditional culture. But culture is moves. So when we're talking about culture, it's something that's not just, it's something that once you've, you've shared it, regardless of where you are in Canada, it becomes yours. So it shifts. It's not something that there's traditional culture and then there's like culture that moves and changes. Right. So powwow isn't part of the traditional, like the traditional teachings of the Sikwekmek people here, okay. but they still do the Kamlupa powwow. Um, because it's something that was brought and that's okay because culture changes, it's interchanging and somebody taught them that. And so now it's okay that they practice that as well. It's important to me that my children know their traditional dance and then the, the, the things that are new and contemporary and changed and, and brought into that. Right now, where I'm focusing right now, because I'm, I've did a lot in plants, where I'm really focusing is language, to swap language with my children. So they, they, um, they've been since the age of like um, a year old, they always, they've been at Chief of Tom's school and at a, like a nest type program. So I really focus now on language and um, uh, I guess, yeah, I would say language and, and, and right now, right now is plants. <laughs> so cool. I've, I've, this new, I have this new passion for, for this, for plants. And, and I think it's important that my children are able to go and see what is edible and what is not edible. What, what is this used for, like, like for medicine, like, you know, for traditional use of like when you get cut or when you have arthritis or all that. So I've, 
developed this new passion just recently of how, you know, and, 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 you know, making baskets like birch bark baskets and all that's like off the land. So right now I'm really focused of like what's off the land. And I think that there's a lot of, you know, culture is really, is really intertwined in, in, in spirituality. And so that's where it gets complicated because I'm a Christian. Sometimes it can get really complicated. So when we're talking about, um, but I have to respect because like, you know, I live in, my husband's not a Christian. Um, and, and we just have to respect that's just how, how it is. And, um, but I teach my kid, what's your intention, right? So, um, what's your intention? So like when we're, when we're dancing for me, the intention is a competition of dance. Okay. When we're smudging, right. Or I don't smudge, but if the children smudge with their dad or if they're in a, you know, um, like that, that is a spiritual act. Okay. So I I get my children to understand that that is a spiritual act. Uh Um, and you know, so that, that's kind of how I separate, you know, culture and, and spirituality is I need them to know that this is what being a Christian is. And, but I don't, I don't really stop them because I find that sometimes when we stop and it's hard for me because I don't, I, you know, my husband is, he's, he's, he's not a Christian. So I I think that I just let them experience and find their way. I think that's kind of how, and, and, and prayer is so important to me. And so I think that um, not everything, like not all drumming song is, is, is a, a spiritual act. Okay. Right. So yeah, not yeah. all drumming song is a spiritual act. Not all um, dancing is a spiritual act. And, and I tell myself, what's your intention? Is your intention like to go out there and, you know, is it, is it like dancing is just a competition usually. Like if you're going to a power dance, usually it's a, it's a competition, but there is a spiritual part to it if you choose that. Right. So it's, yeah, it's a complicated. It's it really is complicated. complicated. It's so hard. Yeah, Bonnie, <laughs> yeah. I, I think you know you've opened the the lid to a huge conversation. Yeah, uh, that that I I'm learning about. You know where mm-hmm. what what can be what can be used if you're if you're a Christian and have indigenous roots. Like mm-hmm. what what can be used and what stays. And, and you know what. I, I, I don't know either. And I think you, you, you've just shared very vulnerably about kind of your situation. Mm-hmm. The one thing I do remember, Bonnie, is you talked about your kids, yeah, braiding your kids' hair. Oh, yeah. Can you just briefly <laughs> mention how, how kind of mm-hmm. what, what that means and kind of how you've, mm-hmm. you've, you're, you're using mm-hmm. it in a different way as a Christian mom mm-hmm. with your kids? Yeah. Can you just briefly talk about yeah. that? So like my kids, so I have two boys and I have a daughter and I have my, well, my youngest doesn't have a whole lot of hair, so we don't braid his, Yeah. <laughs> but right. I have, I have a boy who is nine. His name is Sequoia and Sequoia has hair down to his knees. Um, so when I say it's down to his knees, it's down to his knees. It is super long. We've never cut it, but we braid it. And so traditionally a braid is, um, to protect your, your spine and, and to protect you as a human. And, um, it, when you're braiding it each morning, you're spending that time in prayer. So traditionally you would braid it and pray for like everybody, you know, and pray, you know, help that God helps you. No, no, no. So I use that traditional. So when we're talking about intention, me, I don't know what my husband does, but me, when I'm braiding my son, my son's hair, like we pray together, right? Mm. So we, we pray together and each strand, you know, is a different prayer. About so. so it's like a tradition that, you know, we've, 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 
took culture and brought it into our own way, like our own way of being. So um, I don't want to take away his traditional culture of like cutting his hair because when we're talking about like residential school and and that whole act of like taking the children's away from their parents, being obliged by law to take their children away and then cutting their hair, that whole, so I wanted to make sure that my kids knew who they were, that it's okay Mm -hmm. to have long hair and to bring that traditional back, that tradition back of that braid that's so... Um, so indigenous, you know what I mean? Like when we talk about indigenous people, it's the braids. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's so good. I, I I just thought that was such a good, you know, as you're kind of working through how does my faith impact my 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 family and and these the, the heritages and traditions. I thought that was just such a great good example about you know one of the ways that you've. Uh, applied your faith to to these sorts of things. So thanks for sharing, Bonnie. We have so much more to go. Uh, this has been so good. So thank you again for sharing vulnerably. I, I know that it is hard. Let's let's talk a little bit now about um, Kamloops Alliance and the journey that we are on here. Um, w- just you being an Indigenous person, um, can you just talk, maybe just briefly, just talk about how long have you been coming to Kamloops Alliance Church? Maybe let's just start there. That's a simple question. Okay. Yes. Um, okay, so I've been coming to Kamloops Alliance Church maybe for two years. Yeah, yeah. about two years. Um, but I didn't come very long until my youngest was hit with brain cancer. Um, so I left for like two years and then pandemic hit in between that. And then it just made everything. So I actually haven't been going physically into your church that long before um, my my youngest Riel um, uh, developed uh, brain cancer. Um, so uh, I guess that, um, sorry, what was your question again? <laughs> you, you, you totally answered it. That's good. Okay, you, that's good. Do you, okay. <laughs> do you want to talk about Riel's quickly story. yeah sure because i you just yeah. that, that that's a big thing bonnie i know <laughs> that you you guys have just lived through every parent's nightmare for the last mm-hmm. season and then you add a pandemic on mm-hmm. i i want to be very sensitive to what you want to share mm-hmm. i'll just leave it open i i don't have any questions you can just kind of share what you feel comfortable sharing mm-hmm. uh, and i know i know the listener on the other side of this will will just pray for you and your family the the floor yeah. is yeah, so I guess um, at seven months, so my son is two now, at seven months, um, his head started t- like tilting just a little bit. And I would go to the hospital here in Kamloops and they're like, no, he's fine. He's fine. It's just like a torticollis, which is congenital torticollis. The torticollis is very common in, in young infants. And I said, yeah, but he never had it at birth. Like it's just onset all of a sudden. And then it was just very slight, like barely anything. And then my heart just said something's something's off. Like, and so I kept I kept going back to the hospital. I kept going. And then, you know, I just I kept saying to people, something's off, something's off. Like it's just he's not, something's off. And um, I remember visiting my 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 mother in Victoria and my father. And I said, Mom, something's off. She says, Well, just go across the street to the clinic and go see. So she I went there and and um she says, Well, you know, I can see, yeah, he's a bit weird today. So I'll send you to the hospital. I went to the hospital. And I really think that God blessed me with this, this resident doctor. Um, and she says, she says to me, she says, he looks fine. Um, but I just want to do one test and I'm going to, um, do an ultrasound of his head just above, like where the soft spot, he's still soft. It's not, it's not invasive. It's an ultrasound. It's not going to do anything. So we do the ultrasound. He's really fussy, whatever. I go back. This other doctor comes in the room like a couple, like not too long after. And um, 
and, and says, uh, your, your son has a tumor in his brain the size of a, a softball. He's seven months old. I didn't take it, but I didn't know what to say. There's a helicopter coming. You guys are getting flown to BC Children. They're going to have to go upgrade right away. He's got hydro, hydro, like, like it's like where there's too much fluid and it's just not, not working and stuff like that. If you would see pictures, you would see a normal baby, a very normal baby. I just thought something was just a little bit off, like a look, which is just something. And so we went over there the next day. He was in a 12 hour brain surgery. I couldn't even listen to the doctors. I couldn't even, I didn't even, I couldn't do anything. I was like frozen in fear that my son was going to be quadriplegic, that he was not going to be able to, to look at me, that he was going to be, I just couldn't get past that 12 hour surgery. It was just mind boggling. So I, 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 I was like frozen all day. It was, it was, this. so I said, God, I don't know what's happening. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just don't know what's happening. Why me? Why? Like, it was just, so I went like, two years of brain surgeries, infections, and then all of a sudden it comes back, cancer. So then we were up on what we call T8 is the oncology ward of BC Children's Hospital. And we were there for a good year and a bit, pretty much inpatient the whole time going through this really high dose chemotherapy, then a bone marrow transplant. We almost like, we thought he was going to die in the bone marrow transplant. But, you know, it was so hard for me in that moment to give it to God. It was so hard. It's like I was just so frozen in stress and anxiety that it's like God didn't exist. It's the weirdest thing. Like, it's the weirdest thing when you go through it. And, you know, when people are like, just pray, just pray. Like, I'm praying for you. Like, God, God's there. And, but when you're in it, it's like the toughest thing to like, it's like you're just like in this sickening, constant sickening of this intervention, intervention, problem, problem. His port's infected. Oh, he's got this. Now another infection. Oh, his liver. Like It's just like it, every day was something else. So I think that whole stress was very, very, it's not until I got home where like, like, I don't know, like a year and a bit later, it's not until I got home to Kamloops where actually my husband was still down there, you know, fighting with, not fighting. I don't call it fighting. I call it more like a journey. It's a journey. It's not fighting. I think it's just a journey on that journey. He was still down there with Riel on that journey, but they had moved to Victoria at that time. And they were still going back and forth to BC Children's and getting treatment. At P- There's a P- cancer clinic in Victoria. They have really good services in Victoria. So um, I just, uh, I, I I came home and somebody says, why are you living so much in fear? What are you fearing? Like, what's, what is your fear? <laughs> like God's with you, God's there. It's like, so it's not till there that I actually had to do a lot of healing and and understand like, why am I so feared by death? And, and you know, so God really moved in my life um, this past year and, and that he is present and God can heal. And, you know, they give us four months, whatever. Like it was just never... My son is still living. My son is still here all through God, all through the power of healing of God's presence in our lives and in my son. So, you know, there's nothing else but a miracle. And, you know, he just got an MRI last week, last Friday, and they said, there's nothing. There's nothing, Bonnie. And we have no idea why. And this is like a miracle. That's all they could tell us is that your son is a miracle. And and I said, I know. I know. I told, I told like that's what I said on the Zoom call. That I know. I know it's God. I told my doctor that. She's like, okay. Wow. So I and I and so it, it's like the whole process of of and you know, and, and it still would be God if it was his time to, you know, go. Mm. 
Mm. You know, and so that's where that whole fear base and and I and that's where I had to really self-reflect and yeah. and say, why am I so feared and anxiety? But but when you're in it, it's like the the the, the most stressful thing for a parent can go through. It's the most sickening actually feeling that a parent could go through and the most draining and the most um but uh that's that's my story with cancer and my little child and there's yeah. lots of other problems that come with it with chemotherapy and and we got to continue praying for him because his whole life is going to be you know possibly a start he's deaf he's deaf from chemo not from birth he's deaf from chemo and he's so speech is is, is involved in that because he's under a certain age and um He's got, you know, just other, he's a bit twisted from the neural, neural because where the tumor was and where they took it out. And he's got scars on his head that are over, you know, 50, 60 staples. And, you know, I mean, like, so it's, it's just wow. a, not staples, but stitches. And yeah, so it's just a, a big, uh, it's a big journey. And I feel that, you know, we're in calm, we're, like I call it like calm water right now. Like mm-hmm. God is, is showing us different, um, he's like, focusing differently not so much on that stress but allowing like my husband just got in as chief I might you know have a different job opportunity like so I think that God's really working in our lives and it's like right after the next day that we got the news that the scan's clear Frank gets in as chief so I think he's allowing us to you know follow our passions now and and where he's seeing us work possibly um because God uses us as leaders in different ways um yeah Bonnie uh I'm a parent of young kids and I'm tearing up over here as you're sharing uh, because you guys have gone through the ringer and you know your your faith has been tested I think that's just completely normal like it's just like oh my gosh so I again Bonnie thank you for sharing um, both the hurt of this past year uh, the pain of this past year and this past season for you guys and also a glimpse into the, the role that God's played. Your faith has played in the midst, both in where the heck are you? I'm in the middle of this, like this, why me? Like, I think that's all the, the scriptures attest to those questions too. And then, and then also like, no, now that we're in calmer waters, I can reflect and look back and see his presence with us. So man, Bonnie, thank you for sharing. Um, I know the people who are listening will pray for you and Frank and, and Riel as, as you guys face this next, hopefully this next chapter that's more flourishing and more calm and more peaceful. Yeah, hopefully. And and I think that when my son got cancer, I'm like, what is so wrong with my, like, why does the, the devil have such a hold on my life from a child, like just from like right. the whole upbringing, right? So like when we talk about Job or, you know what I mean? I just felt yes. like I was, it's like constant, yeah. like just constant one thing after the other. And it just never like, yeah. and there's lots of things I haven't shared about my personal life on this this podcast, but you know, it's just like one thing after the other and it's just like never ended. And I'm just like, come on. Like I just, so it's like, I just have to realize that, you know, all these fears and all these anxieties and everything that we, are, we just need to give everything to God and that we have no power over what's happening and that he is full of joy. He wants joy in our life, not happiness. He wants joy in our life. Beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Preach my sister. That's awesome. <laughs> um, let, okay. We, <laughs> for the next, maybe like few minutes. Let's just talk a little bit here about what, what Casey is doing. Um, uh, can you just give us just, uh, what, what do you think of what Calumus Lions Church is doing in launching this initiative to learn, befriend, bring awareness to Indigenous people in our city? What are your thoughts? Just some reflections. Yeah, I think the like when I first heard about the Indigenous ministry, something came up, I think, on one of the um, 
I think the news or the what's happening at KSC or whatever. And, I, and my heart just like, whoa, it's like, it just, I was filled with the Holy Spirit right away. <laughs> and I think yes. I wrote an email right away. And, and yeah. um, you know, I've personally never felt my place in a church. Um, you know, some people feel le- led to uh, worship, the worship team. Some people feel led for a woman's group. Some people feel led to, you know, men's ministry. Some feel led for children. But me, I'm just like, you know, I teach all day. I'm not going to go back with children. <laughs> I don't like that. It's like yeah. my last. I have my own kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's my last place. But some people, you know, I really, I'm like, I'm like, praise these people who go work in the, like, you know, the, the Sunday school and stuff like that, because I'm just yeah. like, yeah. that's the last place I want to be. Sure. But so I've never really like felt like, you know, I know God uses me in, in my life, you know, within maybe my indigenous communities and stuff like that. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And, um, it's like, God, I felt like God was like pushing me, like pushing me that way. Um, so I think that it's, it's, it's a risk that, that KSC has taken is correct, courageous. Um, I don't really have, I haven't seen it anywhere else, uh, so far. So, uh, and and I think that it's all God driven, and I can see you know your heart and and the people that are getting involved and and their hearts, and I think it's gonna allow Counts um, Alliance Church for some like different. It's a, it's a very different growth um, within the church, um, and I think it's very much needed. And it's not so much for you know Indigenous people, and that's where we have to realize is that there's like this there's this like partnership is that non-Indigenous people need to learn of what 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 happened to Indigenous people. So there's like this partnership, I call it a partnership of ministry. Yeah. Um, and and that it's not just one way. And, and no. you might think that it's like, you know, just one way. Oh, Aboriginal ministry is just to minister to Indigenous people. But it's yeah. not. It's like Indigenous people also being part of the opposite effect of partnership. And and that's how I see, um, you know, this this whole Indigenous ministry. It's not sometimes it could be even more for the church than for indigenous people. Yes. And and so that's where, you know, it could be a, a, a counter, a different effect, right? And so that's where, you know, I was really happy with the, uh, and we're in times of reconciliation and it, it's very courageous of your part because we're in that times of reconciliation that you took that risk. And, you know, we talk about also like native spirituality and this and that. So it's very, it can be, get very, different like it's a very different and it could be people might not feel comfortable and you know like there's lots of things well is that spiritual spirituality or is that you know is that just their culture or is that so there's a lot of like um things that are going to be kind of awkward i think for some people uh, because it's all a misunderstanding often Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we cannot grow if we don't learn and Mm -hmm. the learning is not so much from it's like, it can go backwards. It's not like it's indigenous people teaching also Camelot's Christian Alliance, uh, um, Camelot's Alliance Church, sorry, um, to that, that like, it's like, it's like a partnership. I call it a partnership. Yeah. And, 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 um, and I think that, that it's, uh, it's amazing. And I think it's really God driven because this is what, what needs to happen because the place that indigenous people have been hurt so badly is from the church. Yeah. And it has to do with like residential school. It has to do with like authority figure. It has to do with like, you know, pushing a Christian, like Christianity, colonization. And so I think that the hardest, the, the most hurtful part of being indigenous is the church. It hmm. like, it, it wrecked our whole 
being of identity and who we are as a people. And yeah. so I think that it, it's very important that we start something because I don't see a whole lot anywhere. And, yeah. and yeah. It, it's not this thing. And I, and I think that it's not this thing like of, we have to be very careful that we do not like faith-based harassment when we are working with indigenous people, we need to do more like action-based and love and what, what, what God really is and what Jesus wants us to be is mm -hmm, mm -hmm. love and action and just just be present and it, it's it people accept prayer people always accept prayer hey man yep. can i pray for you people yeah. will always accept prayer but if we're, we're doing this harassment base you know yeah. um faith ministry i don't see that working in 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 the communities that i know like i know all these communities around here like i've been i lived on the reserve for the last you know 13 years i'm 18 i know all these communities here and it's not going to work Yep. <laughs> it's right. not going to work, right? That's so it's right. just not going to work if we if we go in that in that direction. But God needs to be present. But you know what? God's present through prayer. Yeah. Through prayer is like number one, and everybody accepts it. Everybody. Awesome. So that's where where I see that. I, I just I just co-sign everything that you said, Bonnie. Um, I, I think I think there's so, so much so much there, and I, I think you know all of as you talk about the the hurt that the church has uh, inflicted on indigenous people um it, you know one of the one of the phrases i keep coming back to is like i i cannot fix the past i just want a better story i want a better story in the future sign me up for a better story sign me up for like you said like e even this word indigenous ministry uh, i don't even like because that's mm -hmm. that just is resembles a lot of like hey we're going to come uh, and teach yeah. you where, where it's like you know what like let's let's just let's just think about the city and be together uh uh reconciling in in a way that Jesus has provided for us so so thank you for all of that uh Bonnie I, I do want to get to one thing and then we're going to close as as we as we think about our city and what Countless Alliance Church is doing. The day that we are recording this is May 28th. Uh, it's not releasing until later in June, but it just came out this week of 215 uh, bodies of children, we believe, that was uncovered at the Countless Residential School. Uh, this is, um, I mean, it's horrific. Uh, as I interact with this, being a non-Indigenous person in a place of leadership at a church in our city, I'm like, this is one of the reasons why we're doing this is because this is like here, this is like national news in our city. This is awful and it is here. And in order for us to be the church that I believe God wants us to be, we have to think about this. We have to grieve and lament. Uh, this brings... Um, tangible stories of pain and trauma that people have been experiencing for decades as Indigenous people. Can you just give your reaction to this? I know that you, you're not Sequetmik, you're not from these lands, but you are a part of this community. Just give us your reaction and kind of what, what you hope this is going to teach, remind um, non-Indigenous people, even here at KC, in our time. Yeah. So it's actually yesterday that I, I, I found out about this news. Um, my husband actually knew a few days ago um, before I actually did. And there's lots of things that he does that he doesn't always share with me, um, just of the nature of, of trying to keep our, our family healthy too. Of course. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I found about, about it when it hit the news and, and um, my heart kind of sank 
And it just made me feel ill. And, and I think a lot of people might have felt the same. And Indigenous or not, I think a lot of people just kind of felt this like kind of, ugh. And um, I, my heart sank, sank because I know that, you know, our family members have attended that school, um, whether it be grandparents of my children or great-grandparents and their great-grandparents. So they're, they're parents um, and our cousins and our aunts and our, you know, like our, you know, so it, it, that, that, that grave, that 215 grave site of those children could be related and possibly are connected to my children. Um, and, and the biggest, the biggest thing about that is that, you know, people are like, why did they just find it now? Like this has been there for a long time. And so technology, technology has allowed us to move forward with finding stuff underground. Um, so I think it's the University of Saskatchewan that I was reading developed this like kind of um, radar. And so this radar was able to detect with pictures some so like what's under the ground. And so they might be using this kind of all over um, to see what what was there, so that's how it was. It, it what came about, and that's why we can, you know, maybe yeah. ten years ago we couldn't, but now we can because of this this that's technology. Helpful. Yeah, that's this helpful. technology. Yeah, this technology. Um, yeah. So, you know, the biggest the biggest thing around this is that these kids were not. They don't have death certificates. And so it's like, who are them? Who are they? Sorry. Like, who are they? And why is there nothing written anywhere um, that these kids attended the school? And it's now it's like finding out with the communities, with the, 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 the BC Museum uh, in Victoria, in the archives, like who they're trying now to like with coroners and stuff like that to identify like, who are these children? And yeah, sure, some probably passed away from, you know, medical, a medical condition, you know, if we're yeah. looking at the time period. Right. But that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. They should have been acknowledged. They should have been, um, you know, there should have been a death certificate. You know, some of these communities might have never, they've, they've never went home. So we talk about these children going to residential school and never going home. Some mm -hmm. went home maybe at summer, but some didn't. Some mm -hmm. stayed there for 13 years. We're, and, you know, it's a law. The law forced these parents to give away their children. Otherwise, they would go to prison. And so it's really, it's really, you know, it, it's a sad part. They, they weren't allowed to speak their language. They cut their hair. They, they, they weren't allowed to, you know, participate in anything that was cultural. And, and so, and it was run by the church, you know. So, like, it's this, this whole, and, you know, when we talk about attachment, we talk about attachment and we talk about parenting. And it's like, well, you know, they they don't they didn't necessarily have the skills to raise their their future kids too right so when they attended the residence school because they didn't have a parent and so it's like this intergenerational trauma that no that we talk about but it's that's why and when we talk about like you know drugs and alcohol and why are people are so affected by that well it it, it really is a colonial, a colonial like problem of like everything that that happened in the church you know that that created these these schools where they couldn't go home and then these children that were at those schools often had kids and were taken away in the 60s from the 60s scoop and because they weren't fit to be parents because they never had parents. And so it's like this ripple effect. And so we, we say that it takes seven generations for um, this like intergenerational trauma to heal mm. itself, mm. but it's not removing our children from our, our families, regardless if there's drugs or alcohol or this, like it's not removing our children. It's keeping them 
attached to their parents is the most important thing. And there's proof, there's, there's scientific research that proves that even through drugs and alcohol, a child placed in a family with their parents will succeed most of the time if they stay with those parents. There's an attachment problem when we talk about. So this grave site, it's, 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 it's taking our communities and opening their hearts up again and, and yeah. reminding them of that trauma that happened. That's not, you know, like the last school, I think, closed in 96. Yeah. So it's not very, we're not talking like, you know, just a hundred years ago, we're talking like it's not that long ago. So it's just opening and I can, we're all, I kind of a bit vulnerable. I think I can feel it in, in, in the air and, and with our communities and just people like through social media and the work that my husband does with elders and stuff like we just feel this, this, it just opened our hearts and all our wounds and, and, and we got to be careful. We got to, we got to pray for, for these our people because of that, because of the sensitivity around, you know, this mass grave and and how come it wasn't documented and how come we're not aware of it? And how come we didn't know, you know, like through, <laughs> so yeah. I think that that's yeah. where, that that's where we're in a vulnerable. So everything is in a, everybody's in a vulnerable position right now where their hearts. So, but today I think at the powwow grounds, they, um, they did a, a ceremony. Um, and I think there was quite a bit of people there, um, to, to remember and everybody was wearing like their orange shirt. I know some of my students here, like I told them to, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to wear their orange shirt today and stuff. So mm. it, it's part, it's, yeah, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna take time to heal. And a lot of those, those people who attend in that are part of our family, they close it, like they shut that door. And it's like, yeah. this came to the news and it's like, yeah. okay, now you just opened me up again. And, and, you know, we need the support in our communities too, because it opened up another, that, that, that history that, that's so, mm. that's so hurtful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I, I think the, it's just, it's like, it's the rawness coming back of, of this sort of stuff. I mean, I prayed with our Indigenous consultant, Norm, this morning. He is in Saskatchewan right now, but he phoned me and he said, I just heard, and, and even him, who's not a part of, you know, Sequetmic people here, he's from Saskatchewan, you could, you could sense in him, there's, this is, oh, again, here we go again, you know? And so thank you for sharing. Uh, I, I, can I just add that? Sorry, I didn't want to cut you off, nope. but I just want to add Cut me that, off. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to add, but a lot of those children weren't just Sequechnik. So we had a part of Lil Wat, we have West Mo- Moberly, I think. Um, I think that they're, they're, they came from all over. Um, so it affects a lot of communities, not just the Sequechnik people. It's just, it's on their, their, their reserve that it's just like, whoa, it's right here. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're also, I think they're also reaching out to the communities that it affects like further. Um, but cool. I think the, maybe more than 50% were from the Shushwap yeah. Nation. Yeah. That's helpful clarification. Thanks, Bonnie. Uh, but again, it just, it's a reminder of, I think, you know, the need for listening, empathy, acknowledgement, awareness, and, uh, and hopefully this will, will shape, you know, our community and our initiative here at Kellams Alliance as, like I said, this is in our city. Uh, we need to close off here, Bonnie, that we could go f- so far in so many different directions. I have ma- so many questions I didn't get to that I wrote down. Uh, and anything that you'd want to add, though, just before we, we end, anything that we've missed, anything you just want to say, maybe to KAC, to non-Indigenous people, to Indigenous people about what we're doing, just the floor is yours to kind of end it off here. Yeah, I think that um, just take time to learn. I think that that's the most, like, um, there's a lot of times that we will have stereotypes while, like, you know, missing and murdered Indigenous women is not really our problem. And, you know, like, and I, I, you know, I understand. I understand where you're coming from. But I think it's, 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 
I don't think that a lot of people are knowledge enough, even teachers. Like, I don't think they have enough knowledge to understand even Métis Nation. Like, a lot of people don't understand who they are. So I think it's taking the time to educate yourself. So I think about Indigenous people in Canada, I think that's where a lot of healing comes. And once you do that, you have a better understanding of what's going on around you and, and actually a better understanding of how we can partnership mm-hmm. and, and we can help each other and towards reconciliation. Cool. Thank you, Bonnie, again, for sharing vulnerably for your faith, for your family, for, you know, where you live, your passion for, you know, Métis people, your heritage. It's it's just been so good. Thanks again. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. I want to sincerely thank Bonnie for coming on and being so honest and so authentic. It is so, it takes so much courage to be on a podcast and talking as freely as she did, not knowing you who are listening in. So Bonnie, thank you for sharing your faith and your uncertainties, your story and your journey. I can say, and I would ask you as a listener to pray for Bonnie and Frank and their kids uh, as they continue to journey through Riel's health uh, situation and an ongoing situation. Bonnie, thank you for helping our church move forward with this and sharing your life. Folks, we have one more episode of, se- of uh, season four of our podcast. We end with a friend of mine, Lisa Rorick. Lisa served as an international worker with the Alliance, our denomination in West Africa for 20 years of her life. And she knows how and what it means and what it looks like to do and befriend ministry with uh, somebody of a different culture. So she comes on and talks really, really brilliantly about what does it look like to do work with a group of people that actually honors their culture, honors them, tells them about Jesus, but doesn't ruin their culture. The whole idea of colonialism, which I think uh, is a huge, ugly backdrop to this conversation. So Lisa comes next week and helps us unpack that as the last episode in this season. So make sure you tune in. Go to our website, calumsalliance.com, if you're looking for any any more information about our church, uh, all of our services, our streaming times, resources on our resource page. We want to help you follow Jesus. Reach out to me, chris at calumsalliance.com. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you there as well. Thanks for spending time with us, and we will talk to you next week.